Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Another week, another edition of Fizz 5, and this one is a rather special one because we are only a couple of days away from the Syracuse football opener. Alongside Adam Gotkin, I'm Francesco Simone. Adam, it's been a while since there's been this kind of a buzz around Syracuse that you get with a football, with a men's basketball game after, what has it been, seven months? We are finally back. It's so, so exciting to actually be able to talk about a real opponent and not just be talking about the entire season, trying to preview different uh, position groups. It's very exciting to have real football to talk about this week. Who's playing? What position? Is Dino Babers going to get fired? We'll talk about (laughs) all that at some point throughout the season, I'm sure. But right now, let's begin, Adam, as you said, with topic number one, which is, or which are, the Colgate Raiders. Number one. Boy, you want to talk about cupcakes to open up a season. It happens at every, you know, level of the the FBS, right? Alabama plays the Citadel before it plays Auburn. Auburn plays Southeastern Georgia Tech State (laughs) online before it plays Alabama, right? It happens. Syracuse starts its season against... Not only an FCS team in Colgate, Adam, but an FCS team in Colgate that last year went 3-8. and eight. This is not Wagner, but it's not that far off from Wagner either. Yeah, and I think it's important for Syracuse to have an opponent like this to start the season and not Louisville and AC team, yeah. ACC team like they did last year because of just how much change there's been really outside of Garrett Schrader in this offense. The defense lost a lot in the secondary. I think it's important for this team to have a cupcake to start the season, especially if we are still talking about a not 100% Garrett Schrader because, you know, if you go up by a lot in the first half like they should – Maybe we see Carlos Dario Wilson or one of the other other quarterbacks come in for the second half because from everything that we see, it doesn't sound like Schrader's at 100% yet. Well, that's the thing is that we don't exactly know where he's at, right? Dino has been very, what's the word, nebulous with exactly what's going on with Schrader. We know he had the offseason surgery on his right elbow. That's obviously his throwing elbow, which should send up some red flags, right? Even though they said he'll be fine, he'll come back the same, if not better than what he was to end last season. Whenever a quarterback has a surgery on his throwing arm, it can never be seen as a good thing, right? It's always taken with a little bit of concern, as it should be. He's gone through fall camp. He's been on some kind of a pitch count, and a couple of weeks ago, Dino said, now's the time to start ramping him up. That was 14 days before he's got to play a football game. So you're right, Adam. Having Colgate, which is a glorified preseason game, can maybe give Schrader an extra week here to build himself up, don't have to play a full 60 minutes Saturday. And I I think that's the perfect way to put it. It's a preseason game because this is a Colgate team that in the FCS is one of the bottom feeders. Mm. If Syracuse doesn't win this game by more than like 40 or 50, then I think there is a maybe cause for concern because this, by every sense of the word, should be a blowout. Mm. And if it's not, I'm concerned about this team. Yeah, no, 100%. And I've been going back and forth as to what exactly that number is that would make me concerned about, okay, you only beat Colgate by X amount. That's got me a little worried about, you know, Western Michigan's not a good MAC team, but, you know, you got to play Army, who, you know, Army is always an interesting challenge, right? They always present a little bit of something that you never see anywhere else. So against teams like that, the three games, Colgate, Western Michigan, and Army that you feel like you need to win, then Purdue mixed in there, which is going to be a big-time swing game. We'll get into that a little bit later. I'm struggling to figure out what that number is. You have to beat Colgate 
by this many points because you are still breaking in a new offensive coordinator. Never called plays at this level before, Jason Beck. Rocky Long, he's the godfather of the 3-3-5. The same defense that Tony White ran a year ago, but new guy in charge of it, new position coaches up and down the defense as well, and on the offensive side as well. So a lot of change. We talked about the preseason element. To me, the number is 30, right? If you beat Colgate by 30, okay, fine, we'll move on. There'll be some, you know, some hiccups here and there, but you take what you can get and you go on to Western Michigan. I think 30 is way too low of a number. If this game ends at 42 to 10, that's just way too close to me because at that point, I guess maybe the 10 points for Colgate come in the second half where you have your non-starters in. But even then, I feel like you really should be winning this game by 50 points. Your twos and threes should be dominating Colgate. Just look at the size of you'll you'll see this right when these players step out onto the field. The size difference is just insane when you're talking single A versus double A in Division One football. Yeah. Syracuse needs to dominate. I think they need to win by more than thirty. I think closer to forty is my number. I'm expecting something like a I want this Syracuse offense to put up like sixty three points, mm-hmm. get a ton of touchdowns. And just continue to push and push because you got that new offensive coordinator. Maybe the off the starters go midway through the third quarter if that happens. Get close to 63. Maybe give up a touchdown or two on defense. But this should be domination in every sense of the word. And I feel like we see 30-point differentials in ACC games. Mm. I feel like it should be way more than that. Yeah, listen, I, I guess I, I see where you're coming from. I don't know. To me, it also matters not only the score at the end of the day, but... You know what that score looks like because if you score 42 points and you know you end up having 10 minute quarters again in the second half and inside handoff to Ike Daniels, your third string running back, you know that the score could end up being 45 to 10 in that case. And you think of it a lot differently than you had to play Garrett Schrader deep in the third in the end of the third quarter, right? So I think it depends a little bit how it looks, but we're both in agreement. If this is not over at halftime, something's very wrong. Absolutely, and and Dino Babers has talked a lot about, he did this last year too before the Wagner game, how he's scared of these type of games because they can be trap games, and the team has to show up because back when he was not coaching FBS football, he won these type of games. So he'll say, you know, I think the quote was, I've been a 21-point dog and beat a team by 21. If something like that happens, then we're really saying that, Syracuse is in trouble, but at the end of the day, they just they have to win, and they have to win convincingly. I think you are right in the fact that if they only win by 30, but there's shortened quarters, mm-hmm. and we just see runs up the middle, yeah. then it makes sense. Although at the same time, when the twos come in, I want to see this offense yeah. continue to go. I want to see what Carlos Del Rio Wilson has in the air, and I want to see what these other receivers mm-hmm. have. Yeah, no, that's certainly a good point. We're going to see hopefully, right, a wide array of especially young players because you get the four redshirt games, right? So this can be, to me, is a perfect time to use somebody lower down on the depth chart, whether that's a Parkman, the running back, the freshman running back they have, the other one besides like Daniels. This type of game is perfect to get somebody a little bit of experience, you know, at the the collegiate level. Are you playing a Clemson? No. Are you playing even a low-level FBS team? No, of course you're not. You're not even playing a high-level FCS team. But if it's the first time you're ever playing football above the high school level, that can be a valuable experience for a guy to take him through a freshman season. So, yes, I agree with you. I don't want to see them just hand the ball up the middle for the entire second half. I would like to see 
Carlos Del Rio Wilson, maybe Braden Davis get a couple of snaps as well. Um, do I think they'll do that? Honestly, I don't. I think once it gets to a certain point, they'll wind the clock. All right, let's go home. But I suppose we'll find out. I guess we will. I, I've never been a fan of that. The sportsmanship, let's just hand the ball uh, up the middle. I feel like, if anything, that's almost demeaning to the other team yeah. that you're like, oh, look, we don't even have to play and we'll dominate you. I want to see what these backup quarterbacks can do because Schrader's gone after this yeah. year. And after this Colgate game, I don't know if we'll have any time to see what these other guys can do. Carlos Del Rio Wilson struggled when he played last year. And if you're going to hand the keys to him for the 2024 season, I want to at least see a half of him playing true football, even if it is against Colgate. Well, I think we beat the Colgate horse down to a – what am I trying to say? Beat a, beat a dead horse with Colgate? They're going to win the game. Yeah. It's not going to be close. <laughs> you hope they win by 50. You'd like to see Carlos, maybe Braden Davis. Um other guys, young players, get into the game late and see what they can do. So, Adam and I, we will now move on from Colgate to the season as a whole. What does the schedule look like? We might even play the always famous, never boring, win-loss, win-loss, loss-loss, win game. And that's topic number two. Number two. You go 7-6 and six last year. Start the season 6-0. and oh, Lose five of your final six regular season games. You beat Boston College in the final game of the season. You go against Minnesota in the pinstripe bowl. You put up a fight. You don't win the game with a lot of your top-level players sitting out, either because of injury or because of a potential NFL draft. And you end up losing that game. You go 7-6 and six a season that is the second best that Dino Babers ever had at Syracuse, obviously, besides the 2018 year where they won 10 games. Now how do you follow it up, right? You lose Garrett Williams. You lose Sean Tucker. You lose Deuce Chestnut. You lose Matt Bergeron. You lose Jihad Carter for one reason or another. You bring in some new players. You bring in, you know, a Jaden Gold who's not even a starter right now. You bring in somebody, you know, like a Braylon Ingram who's also not a starter right now. They lost more than they gained this offseason. That's probably fair to say. However, the schedule is a lot more favorable than it was last year. You combine those two things together, and what does it look like, Adam? That's the question we're going to answer right now. To me, and we talked about this before, I've got them anywhere between 5-7 and seven and 7-5. Seven and five. I think they'll end up finishing 6-6. Six and six. I think you're a little bit more pessimistic than I am. I am. I'm thinking that even maybe four wins, there's the potential for that. I don't see any more than seven because you just talked about it. This team lost a lot yeah. of star power to the portal, to the draft, to everything. I felt like they brought in depth this season, not in the freshman. This freshman no. class was... Awful, and there's no other way. There's no other way to put it. It was awful. But with the transfers coming in, like you said, a Braylon Ingham not even starting. Yeah, I think that's a good sign because this team was decimated with injuries last year, and you really saw it towards the end. But without that star power, I don't know how you get to those wins. If we want to kind of start talking where those wins come from, there's three must-win games, Mm -hmm. and that's Colgate Week One, Western Michigan, and Army. Those are your three non-Power 5 games. Yep. Those are your three must-win games for me. If you're going to get to six wins and you lose one of those games, it has to be almost a miracle because I don't yeah. see it happening if you lose one of those. And then you get to the point where we're talking your Virginia Techs and your Wake Forest and your BCs and you know maybe Drake May in North mm-hmm. Carolina isn't as good as you thought. But to me, it really all rests with those first three games. you got to come out clean through those three you got Purdue in there too I think that can be a real make or break we were talking about this off the air beforehand could this team even be ranked if they go 4-0 I mean it's a weird season with that no I think you hit the nail on the head right Colgate Western Michigan and Army 
if you win, if you lose one of those games, not only does that put you in a tough spot mathematically, it shows you you're not that good of a football team. And the odds of you winning, you know, the four other games that you would need should you drop one of them, to me, are, are astronomically low. You might as well not even talk about it. If you lose one of those games, you're gonna go three. You're gonna go three and nine, maybe four and eight if you're lucky. You might go two and ten if you lose one of those games. So those three, absolutely, one thousand percent are must wins. Carolina on the road, Florida State on the road, Clemson at home. To me, throw those in the loss column. Could you shock a Clemson at home? Yeah, right, sure. The sun might also not come up tomorrow morning, right? (laughs) So it's happened before, not the sun part, the whole shocking Clemson at home part. Could you win a game like that? I suppose, right? What are the odds of that? To me, very, very slim. I almost put Pittsburgh at Yankee Stadium in that same category. I think you got a better chance to beat Pitt than you got at the other three teams that I already mentioned. I don't think you're going to beat Pitt. Um, I think those four games are almost automatically losses. And then you get into Boston College at home. If you lose that game, you're not going to a bowl. No. Georgia Tech is going to be dreadful. If you lose that game, you're not going to a bowl. That brings me to Virginia Tech and Wake Forest. Virginia Tech is on the road. Thursday night at Lane Stadium, October the 26th. Virginia Tech is not a good football team. At least they don't forecast to be a good football team. It's a tough environment to play in. It's a short week, and you're coming off a three-game stretch where you've got Clemson, North Carolina, and Florida State. Now, Dino Babers doesn't win in November. This is in October, though, but it's almost November, and it's after a stretch where this team is probably going to be decimated. What, What does Syracuse always do? Gets hurt in the middle of the season. You talked about the depth. They showed they didn't have a whole lot last year. Maybe they have a little bit more this year? Mm, we'll find out. When you get to that point in the season, you're probably 3-4 and four if you lose to Purdue. Virginia Tech, to me, is such a big swing game there because if you then go 3-5, and five, then all of a sudden, Boston College is literally basically a must-win, right? Then you've got the Georgia Tech still ahead of you. Then you got Wake. You would then have to win those three games. If you beat Virginia Tech... And you're four and four at that point. I think you're good. I, I think that you're right with that Virginia Tech game being so important, and it terrifies me because Lane Stadium at night is yeah. a hard, hard place to win, especially on a game that's going to be nationally televised. I mean, that's got to scare you. And then also, you know, Wake Forest last game of the season. Do you right. really trust Syracuse well, who's in that be spot? Who's going to who, be left who, at that point? Who's right. going to be left there? And then you have that BC game. I don't know if that can be. Uh, you know, a guaranteed win because that's it's a Friday a night, seven thirty in November. Is that a game where Syracuse shows up and just falls apart, kind of like Florida State last year? But you have to win that. You game, have though. to. You have. There's no. Maybe it's not a guaranteed win, but it's a must win. It is. Uh, that that's a must win. I think Georgia Tech on the road's a must-win, too. Georgia Tech's going to be bad, yeah. That, but so is Virginia Tech, and, you know, you always have that chance of, oh, Georgia Tech's and uh, night games scare me. I don't know what yeah. it is. When the sun goes I down, I, I think that when you're on the road, it gets a lot harder, yeah. especially, like, in an outdoor stadium like Georgia Tech. I mean, that game scares me, too. Mm-hmm. I just I struggle to find the six wins just because I feel like there's a spot where they're just going to trip up. They're going to lose those three games in a row. As you said, Pitt at Yankee Stadium. I'll never understand why John Wildhack did it unless the school's getting like a billion dollars to just have three home games and five road games in the ACC. That makes no sense to me. But we'll see. I really do think that Purdue game is everything Mm -hmm. because 
if you're four and zero, you at least have momentum. Yeah. And then you lose three in a row, you you still have a winning record. Mm. You still have that. You still said we were at least probably receiving votes. Yeah. But that Purdue game is everything. That's a night game in West Lafayette, NBC. Purdue's not going to be good this year. Purdue's going to be a bad football team, and they lost a lot. Yeah. That game is everything to me. That's the biggest swing game. Not Virginia Tech, not BC. I think Purdue is a must win because if you lose that, okay, you're three and one, but you're going to guarantee lose your next three. And then you have to find three wins in the remainder of the season. Then you have to beat BC. You have to beat Georgia Tech. And instead of being, you know, maybe we can you know, lose this one, but we still have Wake at the end, mm. these are must win games. Yeah. And in a must win game, I don't think I trust Dino Babers. I wouldn't call Purdue a must-win, but I think along with Virginia Tech, I would probably put Virginia Tech as 1A in swing games and Purdue as 1B, just because I I have a lot less confidence that they go to Purdue and win that game, so I'm kind of in my head chalking that one up to be a loss. However, if you do win that game, you set yourself up to be probably 4-0 and Clemson in your own building. That's going to be a 3.30 ABC game, right? That's going to be a 7 o'clock ESPN game. This city would be up for grabs if that was the case because the whole Dino knows Dabo thing, right? Dino always plays Dabo close, at least for part of the game. Beat him once in 2017. So, yes, I agree with you. If if they win the Purdue game, the season has a much different tone. Are they going to go on the road and beat a Big Ten team? Granted, not a good one. It's hard for me to believe. That, that Clemson game would be a lot of fun because yeah. – also, you then have the athletic department saying, hey, look, this is our last chance to get 50,000 in the yeah. Dome. We're going to lose five, 6,000 seats mm-hmm. for the 2024 yeah. season when they get rid of the bleachers. Mm-hmm. That would be a incredible environment. But yeah. you got to beat Purdue. I think if you're 3-1 yeah. and one going into Clemson with three kind of cupcake wins. Yeah. And it's if, different. It, it, different. It's different. Yeah. I, to me, the season and just the momentum and the feeling of it kind of all rides on that. 100% agree. I've got him at 6-6 six and six as my final record prediction. Adam, give me your final record prediction. 5-7. Five 5-7. and, seven. Five and seven. So you got him just missing out on a bowl. I've got them, I don't know, in the Gasparilla Bowl against Temple on <laughs> Christmas Day or whatever it is. So right around 500, a game here, a game there, a bounce here, a bounce there, could really determine whether or not Syracuse goes to a bowl game for the second year in a row for the first time, Adam, in a decade. It's been since 2012 and 2013 that they've been the back-to-back bowl games. Yeah. Uh, does that not say anything about Dino Babers? I, I didn't want to get to the Dino Babers hot seat conversation, but yeah. you're talking two bowl games, and yeah. is this his eighth season? Yes. That's bad. It's certainly not ideal. Well, we're not going to do the Dino Babers hot seat conversation <laughs> today. We'll, we'll spare our, our guy Dino for a little bit. Let's give him a chance, give him a shot to win some games this give year. Give him hey, a shot. Maybe they'll be 4-0 going into the Clemson. Who knows? We'll... Figure that in about a month's time. But right now, we're going to topic number three, which is the Paper Plate Awards here on Fizz 5. Number three. So, Adam, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, whether it was playing Little League Baseball or just in elementary school, at the end of a season, end of a year, we get the Paper Plate Awards, right? You got, like, most outstanding whatever, right? Best teammate. And there's put on a paper plate, you write it in Sharpie, decorate it a little bit, and give it to the kid that wins it. Let's play that game with Syracuse football. All right, you got where I'm going here? Absolutely. Okay, fantastic. Let's start with this. Who, Adam, is the most important player on the Syracuse football team? I feel like I should go another way, but it has to be Garrett Schrader, right? Your quarterback who's coming off of that injury. 
he's got a lot of preseason honors to his mm-hmm. name. And I feel like for this team to get to that mark of a bowl game, Garrett Schrader needs to take a step up from yeah. where he was last year. And if he does, we're talking about a top five quarterback in the ACC maybe. Yeah. But if not, if, if we see a Garrett Schrader who starts to look more like his 2021 self, who can't really pass the ball too well and with a lot more attention on him with Sean Tucker gone, just kind of starts to lose it in the run game and isn't able to break free, then I see a real issue with this team if Garrett Schrader can't be as good as I think a lot of people are hoping he can. Very fair answer, and I can't blame you, and you're probably right. But I'm going to go in a different direction. Yeah. To me, it's a Rondé Gadsden just because of the impact he has. Not only he's one of the best offensive skill position players in the ACC, whatever the heck you want to call him from a positional standpoint. He's a receiver, by the way. Um, <laughs> he's so important to this team because, to me, as he goes, Garrett Schrader will go. The reason he's lined up in the slot, even though he's 6'5", 220 pounds, is because what's Garrett Schrader not very good at? Throwing the ball outside the numbers, right? So put Aronde Gadsden in the slot. Let him operate out of the middle. He's got free range to go wherever he wants. And by the way, not facing boundary corners. It makes him so much better of a player. He makes Schrader a decent passer. He also makes every other receiver in that room a guy who's going up against one-on-one coverage every single time. He makes Damian Alford better. He makes Donovan Brown, your guy who we'll talk about in a couple of minutes, better. He makes Demarcus Adams better. He makes Isaiah Jones better. He makes Trevor Pena when he gets back better. To me, the entire offense runs around the guy wearing number 19. My thing with the Rondé Gatson is I feel like he's that good where we kind of know what we're going to get from him. And we know, okay, this is going to be one of the best skill position players in not just the ACC, but in all of college football. And, you know, maybe he can take that next step of being that guy where it doesn't matter how good or bad of a throw it is, Mm -hmm. he's going to bring it in. And maybe we see some more yard after catch from him. But, I mean, we saw that last year. How much more improvement can we get from Gatson? He's a guy who's a preseason Mm All-American. First team All-ACC last year. I trust Gatson to get it done. Yeah, no, I I certainly do as well. I, I just think from an important standpoint, his presence there, just makes everything operate the way it should. Because I, I don't know Jason Beck, his thought process on this, but I, I almost guarantee you he designs the offense around Aronde Gadsden. If Gadsden's not there, who are you replacing him with? Dan Valari? <laughs> I mean, Damian Alford? It, it just creates a completely different way that you attack the defense. So to me, if there was, call it MVP of the team, irreplaceable player, you take him out, you're done. You, you might as well just pack it up and go home. Yeah, I I think that I think that's a fair way to put it, and the offense has to be designed around him. You can't design it around a Garrett Trader, and I think the fact that Gadsden is such a positionless player mm-hmm. really helps with that. He can you know be out wide, he can go yeah. in the slot, you can put him in the three point stance, yeah. and he can play anywhere. And because of that, you can design an offense around mm-hmm. him. It's not like he's just your five eleven speedy wide receiver mm-hmm. on the outside who a team can kind of shut down, he can do it all. He's hard to guard if you're a linebacker. You can't guard him if you're a Mm six-foot-tall cornerback because he's just going to put his arms over you and catch it. I think that, you know, he has that. And I I, I think you you may have changed my mind there of just how important he is 
not of the you know Garrett Schrader importance of if he's not good, this team is going right. to be bad, but just because you're building the offense around him. To me, quarterback is the most important position in all of sports, right? Yeah. But this is such a unique scenario where the quarterback having success is directly correlated to one single receiver being on the field, being healthy, and being productive. To me, if Gadsden's not there, Garrett Schrader goes from a top seven, borderline top five, potentially quarterback in the ACC, to like 10th. I feel like that's a little bit low, just with what he can do Eight, running nine, the football. Uh, but but yes, I, I think that's right. I hope that maybe there's another receiving option that can— I hope so, too. That can, you know, step up because, I mean, coming into last year, Gatson wasn't known. No. Like, that's the crazy thing about this conversation is a year from a, like a year ago, mm-hmm. Gatson was just, you know, this, oh, maybe this guy can be something as a tight end. Yeah. I don't know how good he'll be at catching the football. And right. now we're having this conversation about him. Yeah. No, 100%. Now, I'm glad you went that way because that jumps me to the next superlative. The Breakout Player of the Year Award. Now, I'll go first since you mentioned receiver. I'm getting not the same vibes that I got from Aronde Gadsden about Damian Alford a year ago. But you remember to 12 months ago going into 2022, whether it was Emily Liker, whether it was Mike McAllister, whoever around the Syracuse media scene, every single tweet from preseason camp was, oh, you got to check out Gadsden. They're using him everywhere. He's going to be the guy that this offense is running through. To me, Damian Alford has gotten not quite that level of hype, but a similar amount to the point where he was just voted a captain a couple of days ago by his peers, which tells you not only is he playing well, he stepped up in a leadership role, and now his fourth year on campus? Yeah, his fourth year on campus. So is preseason hype everything? Does that guarantee success? No. But the fact that in the spring he was already starting to rumble a little bit, that Damian Alford, hey, he's got a little bit of a route tree now. Now in fall camp, it's kept going and only built up to a crescendo here going into the season. To me, where there's some smoke, there's a little bit of fire there. I have some high expectations for Mr. Alford. But but here's the thing with me and Damian Alford. He's been here since 2020, and he hasn't shown that he can be that yet. You're right. So that's where I worry. It's the fact of we've been saying this for a while of, oh, is this Damian Alford's time to break out? And it hasn't been. It feels like every year you have yeah. a few, you know, training camp hero- heroes, fall mm-hmm. camp heroes who everyone's like, oh, look at this guy. He's going to be a star. Mm-hmm. And then you play a real game and it's just yeah. not the same. And I worry that that could be what we see here because he hasn't proven it before and he's had those chances. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. And what you said is 1000% fair. Is it a little wishful thinking? Yes, I would say it probably is. The biggest issue that Damian Alford had in the past, and the reason why he hasn't necessarily broken out yet, even though last year he had 430 receiving yards, he caught a couple of touchdowns, he wasn't nothing. Um, the issue he's had in the past is he's a one-trick pony. Run in a straight line down the field. <laughs> You're not going to outrun the guy, but you can jump over him, and Garrett will put it somewhere in your catch radius, right? Of which he's got a very big one. Can he run a five-yard out? Can he run a slant? Can you give me an eight-yard hitch on third and seven? If he can do that, that makes him so much better because now a corner can't just be like, I know what you're doing. I'm just going to run back with you, and I'll play a 50-50 ball. That's going to make him better at that, and it makes him so much more valuable to the offense. Has he done that? Some people say yes. Has he done it in fall camp? Yeah, maybe. Is he going to do it when games start? I got no idea. 
I have no idea. You're 100% right. It's it's a real toss-up. And yeah. I think I feel like that's the whole thing here with breakout players. Mm-hmm. Mine is another one. We don't know what we're going to see. I like Dan Valari. I feel like a lot of that is honestly just based on how he's looking now. He came mm-hmm. in as a quarterback from Michigan, yeah. and now he just looks the part of a tight end. But, you know, this is a true athlete who got time at quarterback mm-hmm. at Michigan. Yeah. And I, I think I like what I saw from him back in the spring game. He's been battling for that starting tight end spot. I think that, you know, he can really, as the season goes on, get more and more time, mm-hmm. be a good blocker because he's just a true athlete. Yep. And, you know, maybe you see some from him in the passing game, and, you know, that can be enough to just bring this offense to another level. If then, if you're a defense and you're worrying about guarding Aranda Gatson and now Dan Valari too, mm-hmm. how do you guard one tight end? How do you guard two? Yeah, no, again, though, it's a little bit of the wishful thinking, right? Dan Valari two years ago was playing quarterback. Last year he was playing wide receiver. Now they put an 89 on his back and he's playing tight end. Could he be good? Listen, he is a heck of an athlete, right? Like he said, played quarterback at Michigan, which is something that not a whole lot of Syracuse players say that they're able to do, go to Michigan and play football there. So hopefully, right, hopefully somebody like that, you've seen the videos out of fall camp, some people are rumbling, hey, he might not be half bad. The concern I have is it's really difficult to play any position at the Division I level, let alone one you started playing three months ago, right? So, hey, maybe come week 10, week 11, where he's practiced for a couple of months still, and he's gotten into the rhythm of the offense, built some trust with Garrett Strader. Maybe we can see him, but I'm not going to count on Dan Valari being a real receiving option in a couple of days against Colgate. Yeah, I think it'll take some time. I think it could take until you know week four, week five, when we really start to see Dan Valari break out. But again, having Colgate in your first game, having Western Michigan and Army early on, gives Valari a chance to kind of work into it mm. and not have to face your hard ACC you know, talent early on, especially when we're talking Colgate, a team that's going to be a lot smaller. Yeah. I think that can give him confidence sure. moving forward. And when you've never really played a position like this in a real game, having confidence is half of it. Certainly is, and he's certainly one of the guys that you hope Maybe later in the game when you're up by 50, you put Dan Valari out there and let him go to work, right? So maybe that could be something to look for when Syracuse plays Colgate on Saturday. So my team MVP, Aronde Gadsden, my breakout player, Damian Alford, your team MVP, Garrett Schrader, kind of Aronde Gadsden, though. Yeah, well, you said important Important. player. MVP, Gadsden, important player, Schrader. indispensable player. The guy that you can't lose. Gadsden. Okay, thank you. Aronde Gadsden. All right, and then your breakout guy, Dan Valari. I like that, Adam. I hope that comes true. I like Dan Valari a lot. So that wraps up our superlative segment. Let's go on to topic number four, which is near and dear to Mr. Godkin's heart. Number four. So the depth chart came out at the beginning of this week. By the way, Adam, you know Dino said that he didn't want to release it earlier? Guess why he said why? Because he wanted for he wanted to wait for Colgate to do it first. <laughs> well, I, I think I saw Nick Saban say that he wasn't going to release it because he didn't want to give the other team a competitive advantage. They're playing like East Tennessee. It, it's just, I, I don't understand some of these college Nick, football coaches. Your competitive advantage is the fact that you've got five stars up and down the field, and they've got zero stars playing defensive end. Anyway, college football coaches are weird. We love them. That's why we have a job. So we're very thankful to them for existing. <laughs> Um, but when we got the depth chart a couple of days ago, there was one surprise, and it was well, a couple of surprises. Maybe Leon Lowry playing linebacker over Stephon Thompson, who's still working his way back from an ACL. But the biggest one to me 
was Donovan Brown being named a starting receiver. Now, Trevor Pena is dealing with an injury, might not even play against Colgate. He probably will not play against Colgate. Once he works his way back, maybe he gets that spot. But Adam, a guy who is a close personal friend of yours, is taking that spot. Yeah, we're both members of the class of 2022 at Quince Orchard High School, a, a true powerhouse in Maryland high school football, three straight state championships, and Brown was a big part of that 2021 state title team. 31 receptions for 13 touchdowns that season. He had 611 yards. He also had a number of carries and mm. touchdowns, and he really delivered in the big games. That was the big thing with Donovan Brown. He had a couple touchdowns in the state championship game at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium, where I do think Syracuse could play later this year in the military bowl. There you go. And, you know, he had a massive rushing touchdown out of the Wildcat in the rivalry game, a game that's such a massive rivalry. It was moved from 6.30 to 3.30 mm. so that they could play it when it was light outside. Mm in case anything got out of hand but he is he's a he's a potential star and the big thing with Donovan Brown is his speed he won both the 200 and 400 meter dash state championship in Maryland his junior year he graduated early from Quince Orchard and got to Syracuse in the spring of 2022 mm. so that's why he didn't run track his senior year mm. but he was a true track star and, and he is fast under an 11 second 100 meter dash as well and that plays third in the state. That just shows how fast that he was. And I'm really excited to see what he can do. The one thing where he kind of struggled in high school was with his hands. He always had that route tree. He could do it all. He's elusive. But from everything that we've seen from the videos coming out of fall camp is he's made some really impressive catches. So maybe those hands have gotten to where they need to be. And I think that Donovan Brown has the potential to really break out and B, maybe that wide receiver, too. You just described to me the ideal Syracuse recruit, right? Toolsy guy who maybe has one thing he can do really well. In Donovan Brown's case, he's got a lot of speed. But the hands might not be there. The footwork might not be there. You come to college, you redshirt for a year, you work on that, then in year two, year three, year four, now you're all of a sudden good at it and you become a complete package. Yeah, and the other thing is he was very, very under-recruited in high school. He started out at, at a school called Walk, called Watkins Mill. It's actually where Paul Rabel started out okay. before he went to DeMatha. One of the great lacrosse players Yeah, of one of the time, greatest yes. lacrosse players ever. But it's, it's a smaller school, bad football team. Mm. He transfers during COVID mm. his junior year. So in 2021, they didn't – or 2020, they didn't play football that fall in Maryland. Okay. So they only played in the spring. Played he played spring, three right. games there, and then they, you know, they play that next fall. But mm. he only had three games of real good high school football mm. because if you go back to his sophomore season, he was at a small school where no college coaches are ever going. Mm. Nick Saban shows up to Quince Orchard <laughs> High School, so he he's at QO. He visits Syracuse, gets an offer that day, commits that day. Mm. That was I think July thirtieth, twenty twenty one. He committed the day that he got the offer, got an offer from Vanderbilt, I think, a couple months later. But he was Syracuse right away. And, you know, he's a guy who I think was really under the radar and one of these players that COVID hurt when it comes to recruiting. But it helps out Syracuse because I think that he would have gotten looks from a lot better schools if he had that. 
2020 junior season. Like I said, I've walked through I would walk through the halls in high school and see Nick Saban walking through and see James Franklin. And this is just a public school. Sure. It just shows the talent that came out of there. Damian Robinson, mm. who's probably going to be a top 10 pick in the draft, mm. uh was a member of the 2021 class from mm. Quinn's Orchard. And so he would have gotten recruited eventually, but mm. he went to Syracuse right away. Sure. And I think Dino Babers got a gem in Donovan Brown. Yeah, we, we mentioned Aronde Gadsden. Nobody knew who he was last year. Aronde Gadsden was a three-star recruit out of Florida, right? Yeah. And he became what he is now. When you're Syracuse, Sean Tucker was a three-star recruit, right? You got to get these guys, the ones that you can, right? You got you to swing at your weight, not above your weight. You pick up guys with tools. You bring them in. You develop them. You make them sit a couple of years, maybe only one year. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe this year, a Donovan Brown can become that number two type receiver. Maybe finally Damian Alford does. It's it's about finding what a guy does well rather than fixating on what a guy doesn't do well, right? Because like you mentioned, Nick Saban, James Franklin, they can get whatever kid they want in the country. They can say, mm, I don't like the way this kid runs routes. I'm going to go with this other kid. Or I don't like this kid's hands. I'll take this other guy. When you're Syracuse, you got to be like, okay, doesn't have hands, not good route running, but he's really fast. I can work with that. It's a completely different way of recruiting. You're 100% right. Yeah, and, and that's what Donovan Brown has. He has that pure straight-line speed that you really rarely find, and if he can really develop that, you know, just the, that catching ability like I think he has, he kind of always had that route tree. He was good at slants. He was good with short passing, which is why it looks like he's starting in the slot, sure. which is really interesting to me. I was always thinking he was probably going to move to the outside mm-hmm. when he got to Syracuse. but He's 6'2"? Uh, somewhere around there. Yeah. He's he's taller than you'd see yeah. for a normal slot receiver. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also going to be interesting to see how does Dino Babers use him because sure. you'd assume he's that third starting wide receiver. Right. And you have Aronde Gadsden listed at tight, tight end, end still. Right. So is he your fourth receiver? Or is he third? Or right. is he third? Is Dan Villar- is, is another tight end getting snapped? Right. So how often is Donovan Brown actually going to be on the field sure. is a legitimate question as well. I think it's so Gadsden's your one, obviously. I think they begin the season with Alford as the two. Then it's Isaiah Jones, Donovan Brown, and Demarcus Adams. Yeah. Who's the three? Who's the four between Brown and Jones? I'm not sure. We're going to find out Saturday. Yeah, we'll find out. And I hope Dino Babers passes the football. I hope they yeah. don't just go up 21 and he says, Hey, LaQuinn Allen, here you go. Rush for 300 yards. Mm. Pass the football. Work through that offense. Use this game the way I feel like it's meant to be used and actually see what you have in a legitimate environment. Mm. Play them for a half. It's like in NFL preseason, a lot of teams will go, we're not even going to run the ball once. We're just going to only pass the football because there's no good in that. I'm not saying do that. Mm. Run the football too, Mm. but pass the ball and develop that offense in a real game with people watching. Sure, sure, 100%. Now, the Donovan Brown story, why don't you tell people where they can find it? Donovan Brown story, you can find a bit of a more in-depth one on orangefizz.net that came out earlier today. Also, follow us on on X, Twitter. Whatever the heck you want to call it. Whatever it it is at Orange Fizz, and you can find it there as well. Side note, we got to stop with the whole whatever the heck you want to call it. I want to give myself a (laughs) fine for saying that because everybody (laughs) says it. Twitter, oh, X, whatever you want to call it. Enough. <laughs> I'm putting a moratorium on saying whatever you want to call it. Pick a word, call it, and move on with your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Twitter.com still goes to X. That's my It thing. does. Twitter.com still goes to X. If you want to call it Twitter, you want to call it X. Just for the love of all that's good and holy. 
pick one and leave me alone. <laughs> I understand when you say both. I don't need you to establish yes. that it was changed. I got it. All right, anyway, moving on from that little rant. We got one more topic, Adam, and that is about a former Syracuse player who's making some waves in the NFL. Sean Tucker is topic number five. Number five. Syracuse's all-time leading rusher goes undrafted after a heart condition was discovered at the NFL Combine, gets signed as an undrafted free agent by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a team that just lost Tom Brady, is going through a rebuild, I think. It's the early stages of what can be called a rebuild with Baker Mayfield playing quarterback for him. Ryan Jensen has to medically retire now. They're losing guys on defense. I think their defense will still be pretty good, but that's besides the point. A running back room that was fairly bereft of talent coming into the season before they signed Sean Tucker. Tucker comes in as an undrafted guy, finally gets to wear 44, by the way, couldn't at Syracuse, but can with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he's won a job. He will be on the Buccaneers opening day 53-man roster. I think Tucker Adam has a chance to stick. Uh, yeah, I do too. Interestingly, the Buccaneers, they have four running yeah. backs. You have Rashad White, Chase Edmonds, Keyshawn Vaughn, and then Sean Tucker. Mm. How many carries is he actually going right. to get? We'll see. The thing that really jumped out with me and Sean Tucker in the preseason was in game two, that's where he really stood out against the Jets. Yep. Seven carries, 37 yards, but also three receptions for 18 mm-hmm. yards. If he can become a real true yep. pass-catching mm-hmm. you know, guy and not just someone who is just going to run the ball, then I think he can really be a good, solid running back at the next level because – you have to be able to do that nowadays mm-hmm. in the NFL. You have to be able to go out wide and catch it. If you can't do it at all, you have no chance of ever playing on third down. Yeah. If you can, okay, you're just going to play first and second, but even then, you know what? We're going to want to go four wide, mm-hmm. so we want someone who can also split out as well. I think that showing that Sean Tucker can catch the ball as well, I think that by week four, week five, he's the number one running back on the box. I don't like anyone else on mm-hmm. that roster. I love Sean Tucker. I mean, we, we saw what he did here at Syracuse. Yeah. I think that he legitimately has a chance to be a breakout star rookie this year. The question that I need answered before I say exactly how much success he's going to have this year is where is he on the depth chart by, right now? Because if he is right now the number four running back, and we'll find out as we move on towards the start of the NFL season over the next couple of weeks— if he's the fourth running back, he's probably not going to dress on a Sunday. If he's not dressing, he's not going to get carries, obviously, which means he can't really impress the coaching staff and work his way up the rotation. I hope he's at least the number three, so he's wearing a uniform on a game day. And, hey, Tampa Bay, you want a different look. You're down by a lot. You're up by a lot. Put 44 in the game give him a shot. I think he needs a game like that where he's got a chunk play, where he's got a couple of nice stretches together that he can make t- the coaching staff say, hey, this guy's got something. Let's see what we have a little bit more of because, as we've talked about, and you outlined, listen him off, Adam, there's no prime Adrian Peterson in that Tampa Bay backfield. Yeah, no, not at all. And Sean Tucker is that big play threat. He's that guy who can change a game with with one play, and if you give him the opportunity, I think he can get it done. Yeah, Rashad White, Chase Edmonds, and Keyshawn Vaughn. Right. No one's scaring me no. in front of Sean Tucker. I think he's got a chance to to really stand out this year in an offense where your quarterbacks are Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask. Yeah. It's going to be a bad Bucks offense. They do still have Chris Godwin and Mike Evans as yeah. receivers, which is it's a weird situation, a, a weird right? spot. Yeah. But I, I think, especially if we're talking about a team that starts to struggle, 
He made the 53. Yeah. They could have cut him and signed him to the practice squad, but the fact that they kept him on the 53 tells me that they know someone else was going to pick him up. Yeah. Once he got medically cleared, someone wanted him. Yeah. And Sean Tucker probably, I think this proves to me, would have been drafted if it wasn't for that, that heart condition that came up. He and he could have been drafted decently early for him to not even you know be put on the practice squad yeah. as an undrafted guy. I mean, we thought at this time last year there was a chance he was a second round pick. Now you know things happened last year; wasn't as productive as he was the year before. Still had over a thousand yards, right? So he was still very good. A hundred percent, I think. If if there wasn't a medical question, he's probably a you know, fourth, fifth round pick, something like that. And when you're a fourth or fifth round pick, odds are you make an NFL roster. He did it anyway, so he deserves a lot of credit because he went through a whole heck of a lot of adversity as he. Came out of Syracuse, went through the draft process, couldn't participate in every way that you know other prospects did. But he, you know, he worked his way forward, found himself a spot. And hey, how many seventh round undrafted rookie running backs do you see that? Hey, they make a big impact as a rookie. Tyler Algier out of BYU goes to Atlanta, rushes for a thousand yards last year. James Robinson a couple of years ago with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Certainly not unheard of. And running back is the position where hey, you can pick almost anybody off the scrap heap. You put enough talent around them. Maybe you got a chance to do something, right? Yeah, and when you're a guy with that big playability like Sean Tucker, it elevates you to that next level. Yep. And you said it perfectly. If there's any position that undrafted players, that sixth, seventh round players can stand out in their rookie season, mm-hmm. it's the running back. Yep. So Sean Tucker's in a good spot, even though he went undrafted. I see him making an impact with the Bucks offense this season. That's certainly the hope, Adam. That is certainly the hope. So we went through the Colgate game. Schedule preview, paper plate awards, your buddy Donovan Brown, and Sean Tucker. It's a full day to you and me. Yeah, it is. <laughs> All right. He's Adam Gonkin. I'm Francesco Simone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's edition of Fizz 5, the first with students back on campus, football season right around the corner, just oh, mere hours away from kickoff between Syracuse and Colgate. A 4 o'clock kick, by the way, which is I don't like bizarre. It. It's just odd. <laughs> I'm not a fan of that either, but... I'm sure we'll all survive. We're all itching for Syracuse football to be back. A game the Orange have to win, and a game the Orange, if they don't win, my oh my, will there be questions asked oh. of every human being involved? Adam, any final thoughts? Don't even bring up <laughs> the fact that they might. If they don't win that Colgate game, Armageddon. I, I, I think that the down. entire city of Syracuse could burn down. It would not be a pretty sight. So, again, we thank you for listening to us. Check out all of our content at theorangefizz.com, at orangefizz on Twitter or X. Or, is that all we got? No Instagram? No, that's it, right? Yeah, that's all. Twitter slash X, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> He's Adam Godkin. I'm Francesco Simone. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with us. And as always, go Orange. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.